The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. We are studying the book of Exodus, and we've pushed the pause button once we got to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going verse by verse through Exodus chapter 20, taking one commandment at a time. And um, today we're going to be studying the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And what we've been seeing week after week is that these commandments are not just a bunch of rules meant to limit our freedom. In fact, the very opposite is true. These commandments are describing the life, the family, the society of perfect freedom. To say it another way, following the Ten Commandments is the way to build a great life. It's the structure, it's the foundation of a great home, of a great life, of a great society. Obeying the Ten Commandments is the way to build a great family, a great church, a great business, a great country, a great society. Each one of these commandments is vital and important. If you break one of them, it will hurt you, it will hurt your family, it will hurt your business and it'll hurt our society in some way. So it's really important for us to study them and spend some extra time meditating on them. And I'm gonna say that's especially true for us today. All the other commands 
When you break them, you're going to lose some freedom in some way. And if you don't repent of them, you could lose your soul. But this commandment, when you break it, someone else loses their life. And you could lose your life as a result. And I want to be clear today, in the sixth commandment, we are dealing with life and death. So it's going to be a sober message. It's going to be a serious sermon this morning because it's a very serious matter. In the original Hebrew here, let's, turn, let's open up our Bibles and let's get to Gen- or Exodus chapter 20. And you're going to see on uh, verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. And everyone goes, oh, what a surprise. I didn't know it. That's the end of the sermon. We can go home today. Let's take communion, right? I don't think so. In the Hebrew, it's interesting. This sixth commandment is only two words. Never murder. Now, let me break that down for you. Never means never, ever, okay? Never means under no circumstances are you to murder. Do not do it ever. And Genesis 9, 6 tells us the consequence. It says there that anyone who murders after Noah and the flood and, and God put a covenant in the sky, after then God says that anyone who murders should be put to death. Capital punishment. God says the payment for murder is your own life, a life for a life. Now, that's pretty serious. God takes the taking of life extremely serious. But we need to drill down into that. That doesn't make sense. Like somebody murders, you should kill that person. Well, what, 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 how, is, how are those two things different? The word murder is the Hebrew word here, tersa. And it's a term that's specific to putting to death improperly for selfish reasons. Now, that's important. Killing a person and murdering a person are two separate things. Both of them are serious and result in the taking of a life. But this commandment is not, even though the King James did interpret it that way because the word kill meant something different when it was originally interpreted by the, uh, in the King James Bible. It used to say, thou shalt not kill. The actual Hebrew word means thou shalt not murder. The Hebrew word covers our categories of murder, homicide, suicide, and even manslaughter. What is not included in this term is legal killing, such as the just and legal use of force by the military, police, the judicial system, and even self-defense by a citizen. Now, why is that the case? What's the difference? To understand the difference, we need to understand the flip side of this covenant, okay? You shall not murder also means you must honor life. You must honor the lives of other human beings. You must protect the lives of other human beings. And every commandment, as we've seen going through this 10 commandment, every commandment, if it says it in the negative, it also means the positive. It has a positive and a negative side to each commandment. So this commandment is also teaching us, not just don't murder, it's also teaching us the sanctity, the sacredness of all human life. In fact, 
In Genesis 9, 5, and 6 that I've already quoted from, where God, where God says if a person murders, they should be killed. This is what he says, or this is the reasoning God gives. He says this, the reason a murderer should be put to death is because God made man in his own image. Think about that. God says that human beings have been stamped with his image. We are different from the rest of creation. Human beings have been created with an inherent dignity, value, and worth that is greater than all of the animals combined because there is something about us that reflects our maker to the world in a very special and unique way. And at the time, listen, at the time Genesis and Exodus were written, all lives did not have equal dignity, value, and worth. In fact, if a poor person committed murder, they would be put to death. Really, universally, no matter what society they were a part of, if a poor person were committed murder, they would be put to death. But if a rich person committed murder, they could pay a fine up to a thousand shekels or something, and they would be, and they just had to pay a fine, and they, and that was their punishment. What did that communicate? That communicated the the life of a rich person is worth more than the life of a poor person. They didn't have equal dignity, value, and worth. And God says, no. In the midst of this society, in the midst of all these these societies that put different values on the lives of different types of human beings, God steps in with his commandments and he says, no, absolutely not. All lives are eternally valuable no matter the race, the gender, the nationality, or the socioeconomic class. Every individual human life is sacred, stamped with the image of God. Every individual person is of infinite value. Now listen, the purpose of this commandment is to get all of us to feel the weight of our neighbor's glory. to feel the weight of the value God has invested in human beings. All life is sacred. And I've got kind of a long quote this morning from C.S. Lewis that I'd like to put up on the screen. And we're going to read this. In The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says, it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. So he's saying, yeah, maybe you might be able to think too much about how glorious you're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth, but it is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply of that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. Go on. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, little g's, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you, talk, you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, sorry, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship 
or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. What's he saying? In the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to receive so much glory from God. If we saw our new heaven, if we saw our new body now, we'd be either tempted to worship it or we would run away in fear. Keep going. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Go on. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. One more. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way for in him also Christ, the glorifier and the glorified glory himself is truly hidden. What's he saying? Human beings are special. Human beings carry in their body, in their soul, the glory of God in a special way. They're printed with the image of God and we should feel the weight of our neighbor's glory. And for Christians, the lives of other people should be so dear and important to us that we consider it our responsibility, our right to defend them and protect them from harm. And so to kill another person while trying to save or protect the life of another is not murder. Here's a few examples. Clearly, we, many of us know that someone breaks into your home and they're there with ill intent to do your harm and do your family home, harm and you take their life. You are not committing murder. You are killing someone. You're protecting innocent But you see a man attacking a woman in the street and you step in and bring that man harm. That is not murder. That is loving that woman who is being attacked. That is loving a victim enough to step in and put yourself in harm's way. In this day and age, I have to say things like if a mass shooter walks into some scenario and you have a concealed carry license and you draw that weapon and you put that man to death. That is not murder. That is protecting the life of innocent people. There's a difference. The whole, if you want to, if you need to study this, study the just war theory. All war is not bad. If all war was bad, the biggest, ugliest, cruelest person would rule the world. But it's, it's a responsibility for, the, for, for people to step in and protect the weak. So the taking the life of an attacker is not the same as murder. Theologian Mark Rooker in his exposition on the Ten Commandments says this about murder. Any act of violence against an individual out of hatred, anger, Malice, deceit, or for personal gain in whatever circumstances and by whatever method. That means that might, that might result in death, even if killing was not the intention, must be classified as murder. So if you drive under the influence of alcohol and you kill someone, that is murder. It's your own negligence that did it. But human, listen, humans 
being made in the image of God also has another important implication that we need to drill, drill down into. When a person commits murder, they aren't just committing a crime against an individual or their family. They're committing a crime against God. Think of it like this. To be made in God's image, to bear his image, is to be his representative on this earth. It's similar to how our diplomats uh, who work in other countries, they, are, they have their personal identity, but they also carry the stamp of the United States with them. They carry the image of the United States with them. They are our representatives. They are doing our work on foreign soil. And to sin against that person or to commit a crime or to kill that person isn't just to commit a sin against them and their family. It's also to commit a sin against our country. And many times you'll feel the full weight of the United States authority if you do kill someone, one of our diplomats, right? The, the consequences of taking their life is even greater. So it is with murder. To commit a murder is to lash out at the image of God. It's to strike out at God himself. And so God says the punishment for murder is extreme because the act is extreme, a life for a life. So I want you to see here that God takes human life very seriously. Every human carries his image and therefore is precious, even sacred. Now this is important. God does not say humans are valuable because they're rational. He doesn't say humans are valuable because they're productive members of a society. He doesn't say humans are valuable because they're talented, because they're strong, because they're good. God says all human life is precious because they're made in my image. But it should be noted, listen, that this is a strictly Christian worldview. Everyone in our country, everyone in our world does not believe this. There are many who say that human beings are nothing more than self-conscious animals, and therefore they have no more dignity, value, and worth than any other species. And ideas have consequences. This is an idea that has been propagated in the past 100 years or so, and it is no coincidence that the 20th century has been the bloodiest century in human history. Now, let me run through this philosophy really quick, and I won't do it justice. First, it's based in the theory of evolution. Second, it's based in atheism. If there is no God, then human beings are not made in his image. If we evolved over millions of years from other species, and we did that through the survival of the fittest, natural selection, then, listen, listen I'm moving fast, then killing off weaker species and weaker forms of our species is actually a good thing. Kill the weak because they drain society. Kill the weak because they hold back evolution. Kill the weak 
because you don't want a strong species to mate and reproduce with a weaker one. That would pollute the species and work against the further evolution of the human race. This is built on the principle, the concept called eugenics. You can Google that later. This belief was a driving force behind Nazism in the 40s, and it allowed Hitler to callously murder millions of the elderly, the maimed, the Jews, and the gypsies during World War II. He believed, and they believed, it was good for society to kill off the weak. But did you know that it was the same belief that brought about the founding of Planned Parenthood? Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, believed that abortion and birth control could stop unfit and inferior people from reproducing, and it would be good for our society. It is and was an assault on the image of God. It was elitist and racist. And it seems like her goal and her vision has come to fruition after her death in our society today. It was a way to keep lower classes of people and African-Americans from reproducing. And today, African-Americans comprise only 13% of our population in America, but account for 37% of all abortions. Black women are five times more likely to abort their child than white women. The Department of Health and Mental Hygiene Bureau of Vital Statistics in 2013, listen to this, in New York City in 2013, more African-American babies were aborted than were born. Black women accounted for 29,007 terminated pregnancies. That same year, black women in the city gave birth to 24,108 babies, with abortions surpassing live births by nearly 5,000. This is what happens when we remove the image of God from human beings. This is what happens when we say that certain races or certain classes of people or certain abilities deem certain people as more valuable than others. Peter Singer is a prominent atheist and professor right now at Princeton. Let me quote him for you. Human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time. They are not persons. Therefore, the life of a newborn is of less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. Singer believes that there should be a one-week waiting period for parents. If there is something wrong with your baby or something that you don't like about your baby, you should be able to kill it and make another healthier baby. And this would not be wrong in any way because it would bring about your own happiness, which would bring about more happiness to the world and parents could maybe have a better baby next time. Now I want to label this. This belief is called functionalism. The belief that what defines human beings 
is what they can and cannot do. Listen to what Singer says, quote, insofar as some human beings are incapable of reasoning, so he says reasoning, if you can't reason, you're not a human. Remembering, if you can't remember, you're not a human. And self-awareness, you don't realize who you are. They cannot be considered persons, he says. Put simply, dogs, cats, and dolphins are persons, while fetuses, newborns, and some victims of Alzheimer's disease are not. Now, these views and these examples are extreme. They are taking, but they're they're not illogical. I want you to hear this. They're extreme, but they're not illogical. They're taking atheism and evolution to its logical conclusions. Now, I doubt many of us hold these positions. I doubt many of us think that there should be a one-week waiting period on children, right? Like a sweater, you can return it if you want. I doubt many of us think that. But what I do believe is we've been swimming in these cultural waters and we've been getting our, our news from the news outlets and we're beginning our information from Facebook and social media and our friends and we're becoming less and less biblically literate. And I think we're more influenced by this functionalism than we know. I think many of us are practically functionalists, moderate functionalists. I've heard many people advocate for abortion because the child might have Down syndrome. In spite of the fact that statistics show that children or people with Down syndrome are statistically the happiest people in our society. They say between 60 and 75, some even said 90% of of when women find out that they're having a, a child with Down syndrome, abort the baby. I've heard many people argue for abortion that the baby might have a difficult upbringing. Or it would put too much stress on the mother. She might not be able to finish school. Or it's it's going to happen anyway, no matter what we do, so we might as well let people do it in a relatively safe space. These are all functional arguments. They're not ethical arguments. They're not moral arguments. They don't make sense if we have the image of God stamped in us. These are all attacks on the image of God that is inherent in every single human life. And as a result, listen, functionalists deem human life as less significant and less valuable than God intended. And it's illogical. How can you stand up and and say every child deserves equal education and then on the other side of your mouth stand up and say some kids should be killed in the womb? And let us not ease our conscience by saying, well, I disagree with abortion, but I think it's, it's going to happen anyways, and it's just going to happen. And so, you know what? We just have to get past that. And I'm not going to think about that when I'm voting, and I'm not going to think about that when I'm, when I'm posting on Facebook, and when I'm talking to my friends. We're just not, I'm just going to ignore that. Do you hate your neighbor? 
Now, listen. <sighs> Abortion is not health care. Euthanasia, assisted suicide, is not health care. And how do we get it in our head that it is? We, they, we drip it into our movies. Oh, look how kind it is to kill this person at the end of his life because he's suffering with some disease or something going on. And we all cry and we weep and we, go, we look at our spouse and say, yeah, if I, that ends up, if I end up like that, kill me too. I don't want to live my life like that. It's an assault on the image of God. Every human life, whether you're paraplegic, it doesn't matter. Every human life has infinite value. Now, I know that we are getting uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable topic. And I know right now you're just saying, Justin, where's Jesus? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And I'm glad that if you've been around here long enough that you know Jesus is coming. (laughs) But surprisingly, he doesn't come in like that smooth, calming breath of fresh air that we want him to. Jesus doesn't lower the standard any. In fact, he raises it to the moon. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21, 22, you've heard that it said you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus takes it up a notch. He doesn't say you can't just physically murder someone. He says the the seed of the fruit of murder is already in your heart. It's already dwelling there to hate, to envy. That bitterness that's in your heart, that's murder in your heart, and you're guilty of murder just by thinking the thoughts and feeling the feelings that you want to end someone. The Apostle John in 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, why is this the case? Jesus tells us in Mark 7.20 that all of our horrible behavior, murder, gossip, sexual immorality, it's not an accident. It comes out of our heart. Hear that. It's not an influence. You didn't get, someone didn't make you commit murder. Someone didn't make you envy. Someone didn't make you commit adultery. It came from the inside. It came from an evil, sinful heart. That means all of us, your pastor included, were murderers at heart. We kill people with our words, our emotions, our looks. Or maybe we just punish them with our silence. We let our bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts turn us into relational murderers. That person is dead to us. Why do we do this? We do this because we break the first two commandments. Something becomes more important to us than God. If our job is more important to us and more meaningful to us than God is, we murder those who get in our way. We try to kill their reputation. We envy them in our hearts and we hope for their downfall and our exaltation. 
If our personal happiness and comfort is more meaningful to you than God, you might terminate an unwanted pregnancy or terminate an aging parent or grandparent that is dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's, right? Or you might see someone being attacked and you might turn the other way and ignore them and avoid getting involved. All of this is breaking the sixth commandment. And you know what? I thought about this and meditated this week, surprisingly. The guy who's writing this for us, Moses, was a murderer. Remember, we've already studied this back in Exodus. Can you imagine how Moses felt? He's re- you know, God's given him these Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Oops. In fact, if you look through the Bible, so so here's what Moses did. Moses took matters into his own hands in an unjust way and saw a scuffle going on and didn't just break it up, but he actually killed the man and then he knew he did something wrong so he buried it in the sand. It was an illegal act. It was an illegal act, okay? And he buried him in the sand. He moved on. He was a murderer. Then if you were in missional community this week and you studied our Ash Wednesday curriculum, you know that David is also, King David, man after God's own heart, is also a murderer, and he he murdered in a different way. He saw a woman that wasn't his. He took her. He had sex with her. She gave birth to a baby. He decided, or she got pregnant. He said, all right, this is how I'm going to kill off her husband. He put a, bad, a battle plan together. He told his, his, his uh, military leaders, get close to the wall, pull back where the fighting is the toughest, pull back and let this guy die, an honorable man. Let him die. It happened. God's judgment came. The prophet Nathan came and spoke to him. You are that man. You are a murderer. David received the judgment of God upon him. So, so David committed murder without even touching anybody. Then we see Saul in the New Testament. Saul is there as the first Christians are being persecuted. They're this little minority of this kind of Jewish sect and they're being persecuted and he's there and, they're, and he's bringing letters to, to persecute and throw Christians into jail. And he's there when Stephen is being stoned to death and he becomes the first martyr, and Saul is there holding the cloaks. He's standing idly by. He's approving of it in his heart as people, as, as someone is being murdered unjustly. And then on his way to Damascus to further the same thing and to do this more and more, the risen Jesus Christ knocks him off his horse, converts him, regenerates his heart right there in the moment, and says, I'm going to show you how much you better, you're going to suffer for my name. It's almost like Saul didn't even have a choice in the matter. He wasn't, Jesus didn't show up and go, okay, band, come on, play, play some music. We're going to have an altar call. Paul, Saul, come on down and accept Jesus in your heart. He said, I'm here. You're going to suffer for me the rest of your life. And you're going to bring people to Jesus. And you are going to build the church. And you are going to plant churches. And you are going to suffer. And the gospel is going to go all, it don't matter. You're doing it. I picked you. Saul's like, Right? The Shekinah glory shows up and knocks you off your horse. Do you argue with that? Really? No, you don't. Listen, why do I say why do I share that? I share that because all of these men show us 
there's hope for us. For murderers, there's hope for murderers in the gospel. But listen, 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 hear me. We can't go back. I mean, so many people that just try to forget what they've done. They just try to erase it from their memory and want to live like it never happened. There is no going back. Jesus says that murderers, even when we murder in our heart, we're liable to judgment, liable to the fires of hell. Jesus said that. It's not old covenant. It's not law. It's not mean. Jesus said it. This is his gracious words to us. When we break this commandment, we become guilty and we deserve, we've earned the right. We've bought our ticket to hell. And there isn't a way for us to go back and change the past. What's done is done. We're guilty. The only way to move forward in hope, hear me, is to be redeemed. And this is the startling good news of the gospel. How can murderers be redeemed? A life for a life. The son of God, Jesus, came to this earth and treated every single human being, every person he met, he treated them with dignity, value, and worth. He never killed anyone with his hands, his mouth, or his heart. Jesus was the kindest, most gentle man to ever live. And what? He was murdered in our place. He was murdered to pray, pay the price for murderers so that we can be forgiven so that we can be redeemed and have new life. Jesus was treated like a murderer so that murderers could be treated like sons and daughters. Now, I want you to hear this. The only way for you to be treated like a son or daughter and to be brought into the family of God, forgiven of all your sins and given a whole new spiritual life on the inside is for you to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to press on something this morning because far too many of us assume that repentance is merely confession. We assume that repentance is merely just speaking it with my mouth and it's not actually going to affect my life. And that's not the case. Biblical repentance means a change in direction. It includes, means we confess our sins with our mouth and we believe on Jesus Christ with our heart. But listen, we begin to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance. James, the brother of Jesus says, faith without works is dead that our Christian faith motivates us to work. Our Christian faith says, wow, a Christian faith motivates us to honor life, to protect life, to resist the spirit of our age that dehumanizes people to little more than self-conscious animals. What does that mean? That means part of our repentance and part of living out our faith means that we should be working to support the pro-life movement. In our area, we have pregnancy resources and the Iowa right to life. This is also why we adopt. This is also why we serve 180. This is also why we become safe families. 
This is why we work for racial reconciliation in our city. This is why we oppose abortion. Every human life is made in the image of God and has inherent dignity, value, and worth. And our faith moves us to work to protect that image wherever it may be found. Here in Kenya, Africa, as we support the work of Fishers of Men Ministries in our neighborhoods, wherever we are. Listen, Jesus in the scriptures is called the Lord of life. The Lord of life. He provides the life that we need that can rescue us from our murderous selves. Do you realize that murder does have an expiration date? The murder in our heart has an expiration date. There's one thing I haven't really mentioned in this series so far is that the Ten Commandments, if they were perfectly fulfilled, that's heaven. A place where we worship nothing but God. A place that we bow down to nothing but the glory of God. A place where there's no murder. A place where there's no stealing. A place where parents are honored and authority is honored. A place where we have an eternal Sabbath. Like this murder in our heart, we can't take it to heaven with us. You take it to heaven with us, you'd ruin heaven when you got there. I want that mansion. Why is he going to be that close to the Lord? I want to be that close to the Lord. We would envy there. The seed of sin in our hearts, the murder seed in our hearts must be removed. And it can only be removed by receiving the gift of life from Jesus Christ, or as Jesus says, being born again. And as we live out our faith, This process of sanctification is God getting in our soul and putting the weeds of murder to death, putting the weeds of sin to death. And then when we die or when Christ comes back again, we'll have a new body and that old body will be in the grave and this new body will be without the presence, the stain of sin. What will it feel like to love our neighbor without envy? What would it be like to worship God without fear of judgment because all the sin's been removed from me? What will it be like to worship Jesus Christ, the one who made it all possible, who did it all for me? And so Christians, we work backwards from that reality. This is where we're headed, the new heavens and the new earth. And so today we work for it. We want to live like it's already a reality. We bring the kingdom to the earth in some small way. Jesus alone, he says, is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread of life that we must eat to taste eternal life. But no one can eat bread unless it's broken. And the only way for sinners to experience new life is for Jesus, the Lord of life, to experience death in our place. He was broken so that we could take him in. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about, and that's why it's for baptized believers only. Let me pray this morning. Father, we are guilty before you. We are unfit to enter your presence, but Jesus Christ 
vicariously live the life that we should live in our place. And he died the death that we deserve in our place. And when we put our faith in him and turn from our sins, you fill us with your Holy Spirit. This new life comes inside of us and empowers us to live differently in our world today. And I pray that you would convict us, but also convince us of your love, of your righteousness, that you treat murderers like sons and daughters because you treated your son like a murderer in our place. Give us faith to believe it. Give us hope for the future. Give us energy for the present. As we take this bread that was that is your body that was broken for us and we take the wine it's your blood that was spilled for us may you put yourself in our hands we bring you in 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 just a response of grace we receive your grace this morning we thank you for your work we thank you for what you've done come soon Lord Jesus Amen Amen